All right. Take your Bibles this morning and um, make your way to 1 Corinthians. Now, I will tell you, next week we'll be back in Mark. So I would encourage you this week to spend a little bit of time in Mark chapter 9, verse 14 and, and following. We're going to look at that next section. I, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to getting back into Mark. We're going to do a little bit, well, you'll see. Just come and you'll figure it out. Uh, but anyway, uh, today we are in 1 Corinthians to start. We're going to, I'm going to give you some other scriptures, so get ready to turn in your Bible. Um, I'm, I'm trying to move away from putting the scriptures on the screen because I really want you to bring your Bible to church. I think that's so important. Um, so in, in that vein, I want to encourage you. And if you don't have one, there's Bibles in the pew underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, but, but we need to bring our physical Bibles uh, to church on Sunday morning. All right. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians and verse 31. It's really Paul's conclusion to an issue. He says, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the what church? Glory of God. Whatever you do. Now, the context of this section is Paul is dealing with yet another issue that the church at Corinth was having. Um, over food that's been offered to idols. So here's a thought. You know, they'd take this grade A steak. And uh, we had, uh, I, made, I made a prime rib roast for my family over the holidays. Right? Yeah, and I gave some to my mom. She, she enjoyed it. Um, think prime rib roast. So they take this beautiful prime rib roast and offer it to an idol. Well, how much of that prime rib roast do you reckon that idol's going to eat? None, right? So it sits there for a little bit, and then the, the priests of that particular idol will remove it. And now what do you, they can only eat so much. What do you do with all that meat? Well, you sell it in a little meat market. So every, every temple, every idolater's temple had a little meat market attached to it. And how much did you pay for that meat? None. So, so you can sell it cut rate. The, the people that buy it get a great deal. And the, the uh, priests of that temple get a great deal. They get money. It's kind of like goodwill. They don't, you donate to them and they sell it at a profit. It's all profit. So that was very common. But some people, a lot of people in Corinth, these new believers were coming, came out of those particular um, idolatrous temples, right? And, and they were offended. They said, well, we're, we're not eating that meat. Because it was offered to these demonic gods that we used to worship. We can't eat that. And other Christians in Corinth in that church were saying, oh, it's no big deal. And, you know, idols, nothing. It doesn't matter. And they were, they were causing their brothers and sisters who came out of that to stumble by, by eating that meat. So Paul is dealing with that. And basically what he's saying is the law of love supersedes the law of liberty. And Paul even says in there, are you free to eat meat offered idols? Sure. Just don't ask about where it came from. Eat it and enjoy it. But if they say where it came from and they're kind of putting a test before you, then don't eat it. So, so this is the conclusion of his argument in verse 31. He says, therefore, so to wrap up the matter, whatever you eat or drink, because we're talking about that, 
or whatever you do, anything else, your, your way of life, you do it all to the glory of God, that God gets the attention and God gets the credit. If you can do it that way, great. If you can't, don't do it. John Piper put it this way, and I love it, in his book, Desiring God, on page 43. Dr. Piper says this, God's overwhelming passion is to exalt, magnify, display, protect, and vindicate His glory. In the passion for His own glory, He seeks to display it, show it, and demonstrate it for all to see. God opposes all enemies of His glory, or those who think too little of it. It is clearly the uppermost reality in his affections. Listen to this, how he ends it. God loves his glory infinitely. Infinitely. So I've, I've titled our, the sermon today, Soli Deo Gloria. It's the fourth of the five solas of the Reformation. And it literally means all the glory to God alone. What does it mean to live a soli deo gloria life in 2024. What's that look like? To live out to the glory of God alone. In other words, the glory of God, the, the, the fame of God, the attention being put back on God is really God's passion and principle for your life. It's His will for your life. But how do, what does that look like? What does it look like for a saint to be a soli deo gloria, to live a soli deo gloria life. Yes, that's part of it, right? It's a whole bunch. Now, I didn't consult Tom before. I would have added that as a fourth point. Uh, I just had three things that came to mind that I really just wanted to share with you today as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Um, but, but let me go through these three Ps with you. And, and see if it doesn't make a little bit of sense. So if, you're, if, if we're going to live to the glory of God in 2024, what does that look like? It's a life that is lived as a pardoned person. That's the first one. The marks of a soli deo gloria person is that they're living pardoned. A pardoned person. Aren't you glad that God has pardoned our sins? And, and, you know, he didn't just do that, snap his fingers and pardon it. No, it cost a lot, didn't it? An infinite cost. One theologian said this, in order to receive a pardon, you must plead guilty. Right? Weren't we all, as Paul says, weren't we all slaves sold into the slave market of sin? Through our choices, through our birth. Right? We all come into this world sinners. Better not leave a sinner. Right? But we all are, Paul says we are sold in the marketplace of sin. And Paul explains that, that, that God came through the person of Jesus Christ and redeems us. It's a beautiful word that Paul uses in Ephesians. It's ekakarazo. Ek means out of. And, and the, and the uh, agrazo was the slave market that, 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 that Christ comes in and he, he redeems us out from underneath the slave market. And uh, there's a story that is told to illustrate this, that uh, the result of being pardoned, that, that in that first century, a man came to the slave market and a young lady was put up on the auction block and he bid for her and won the bid. And when she came to him, he informed her, I purchased you to set you free. 
And he gave her her papers. He said, I didn't buy you for me. I didn't buy you to work for me. I, I purchased you for your own freedom. And he began his journey home. And as he was walking home, he heard footsteps behind him. And behind him was that young lady that, she, that he had set free. She did not understand all of her, the results of her freedom. But here's what she did understand. She loved the one who purchased her to set her free. And that's what we need to be. We need to be like her today. We need to be a pardoned people. Because with that pardon comes a perfect record. Isn't that, isn't that, you ever stop and think about that? I mean, we, we, we did not have a perfect record to start with, did we? Some of you came in here today without a perfect record. But all, oh, listen, when God placed all of our sins into Jesus Christ and his blood covered them, really washed them away, and he was resurrected to new life, and we received that, that life of the Spirit in us, and we were resurrected with him. Listen, we got the record of Jesus. When, when, when God looks at you, he sees his son's record. Isn't that crazy? That's why we need to live as a pardoned people this year. And that's good. that changes everything. <laughs> One of my daughters recently, uh, while she was in college, because she was so far away, and because she's a daughter, I mean, my son went to college too. I did not do this for him because he's a son and I figured he needed to figure out life on his own. I feel very differently about my daughters. <laughs> and my daughter went away to college in, way out in Missouri. And uh, so I ordered a credit card uh, off of my personal credit card. Got one for Elizabeth, one for myself. And I ordered one for her in her name but attached to my account. And I can tell you, she... She liked that card. <laughs> it was supposed to be just for things that you needed. I had no idea that Starbucks was a necessity. <laughs> and that Kohl's is apparently a necessity. Uh, there were lots of necessities. And sometimes it was a necessity to take your dorm mate out to dinner. I did not know that either. But as I do every month, when the, when the, when the credit card bills come in, I, I pay the whole thing off, right? And we did this for four years of college. And then when she came home after a little bit, I said, well, I'm, I'm going to need to shut that card off. And I did. That was all good. She was working. Well, the other day, she calls me up. She says, Dad, I'm, I'm just trying to get myself set up for some things and preparing in advance. And she says, and I, I looked up my credit score. And she said, my credit score is 865. She said, what did I do to get such a good credit score? I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> you did nothing. I did it all. And your mother. You spent our money and we paid the bill and you got the credit. Does that sound like the gospel to anybody here? Yeah. Amen. Amen. We went and we went on a spending spree of sin and through the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross, an empty tomb, God pardoned us and he paid the bill. Amen? And we need to live. And if you want to live to the glory of God, you've got to start with the mindset that I am pardoned. I have been forgiven. And because I've been forgiven, listen, forgiven people forgive people. Amen? Matter of fact, if I understand it right, and I think it's true, you really can't forgive others 
until you've experienced the forgiveness of God. Up to that point, it's just a tr you're just trading. Can we just be honest? You're just trading. You're trading favors. But, oh, man, you can forgive with no strings attached when you've been forgiven. When you've tasted that, that pardon from God, you can freely give. It's Matthew 18 and that, that terrible story about the unjust servant who, who owed that master basically millions of dollars. And the master looked at him at a king and he felt compassion on him. And he said, you know what? I'll just let it go. And what does he do? He no sooner leaves the presence of the king and he goes and gets a guy that owes him 10 bucks. He says, you better pay me now. The guy says, well, be patient with me and I'll pay you all. That was what the first guy said. And instead he threw him in jail. You know what the problem with that guy? I realized this one day as I, as I read that account. You know what his problem was? The master forgave the debt. The unjust servant never accepted it. He was still trying to earn it back. He was still full of pride. And you know how the end of that story goes. As pardoned people, we can pardon others. And that's part of living to the glory of God. We need to, we need to remember who we are in Christ and what we've been given. Amen? Uh, I want to recommend, we're, we're, we've just finished up a series in our discipleship time by a guy named Neil T. Anderson. This is one of his books. We, we did Bondage Breaker. This is a, he's written a lot of books. This one's called Victory Over the Darkness. And I want to share something with you. Talk about, he said, why, why, do I, why do I need to understand and live in, my, in my, the fact that I'm forgiven? Here's why. We need to know who we are in Christ. Amen? He says this, since I am in Christ by the grace of God, I've been justified, completely forgiven and made righteous. Anybody glad about that today? Romans 5.1. I died with Christ and I died to the power of sin's rule over my life. Romans 6, 1 through 6. I am free forever from condemnation. Woo! Romans 8.1. There is therefore now how much condemnation? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, if we're free from condemnation, be careful here, but can I ask you something? Who are you to condemn yourself? You ever have those condemning thoughts? I fight them all the time. Right? Those negative, ugly, nasty thoughts about, you know, what's the matter with you? That was my dad's favorite word. What's the matter with you? And I picked it right up from him. Right? And then a whole bunch of foul things come after that. If God doesn't condemn me, who am I to condemn me? Because I'm a pardoned person. That doesn't mean you trample grace. Matter of fact, that gives you the power to live righteously in Christ Jesus. Let me give you a couple of more. I've been placed into Christ by God's doing. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Isn't that great? I'm in Christ. We sing that around here, don't we? Um, I have received the Spirit of God into my life that I might know the things freely given to me by God. 1 Corinthians 2.12. There's a whole list of these. That's the kind of stuff we need to remind ourselves every day. Amen. Amen? And the Holy Spirit is there to help us do that. If you want to live to the glory of God... You must get up every day and remind yourself of who you are. And you are pardoned. And because you're pardoned, we don't live out of guilt. We don't operate in guilt. We live free. He's paid the bill. And our credit score is perfect in his eyes. Number two, if you want to live soli deo glory, if you want to live to the glory of God... 
Not only are you a pardoned person, but when you're a pardoned person, you're a praying person. Amen. Amen? We, we, we're praying people. Now, what does it mean to pray? It's even a strange word. Where, where is the word pray used other than in the context of the church and, and our faith? It's not, is it? We don't use it. Used to, the word used to mean to beg or to request. Um, but we don't use that anymore. But you know, remember one day in Luke's gospel, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, teach us to pray. They watched him. And they saw him get up early while it was still dark and go and spend time, lots of time in prayer, communing, communicating with the Father. One wise saint said this. He said, every saint must enroll in the school of prayer. You enrolled? Now this point, this is a hard one because I don't think I've ever met a person that's satisfied with their prayer life. Are you satisfied with yours? I'm not. I'm not. Um, and I want to encourage you along that line. Let me, and I want to give you some, some practical encouragements to pray. I'm not here to beat you up today. I'm here to push you towards soli deo gloria living. All right, so here's the first thing. Pray the Lord's Prayer. You know it? Our Father, say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What if we started every day with that prayer? And then what if we, throughout the day, used that prayer as an outline, I, I like what one of my teachers taught us. He said, "Use that's the skeleton. And throughout the day, you're putting muscles and meat on that skeleton. Right? Um, and, 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 and use that as the, your entrance to the school of prayer. What's the first word in that prayer? Oh, our. You know what? Start praying in the plural. Here's the problem I see with modern Christianity. It is such a solo event. And in this world today, and it's, we think it's worse now than ever, I don't know. But it's all about me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus teaches his guys to pray? And he said, here's the first word, our. Our. So I think it tells us several things. Number one, as we're praying, we need to be praying in the plural, realizing we got other brothers and sisters around us. Right? And as you're praying, you're thinking of your other brothers and sisters that you know are praying at that time too. I'm part of something bigger than me. But what's the second word in that prayer? Father. The re oh, wait a minute. How am I praying our Father? Who's praying with me? Yeah, the only way I get to call God Father is if Jesus, I said this recently, is my older brother. Amen? Jesus is the only one that's got the right to call him Father. But in Christ, I have Jesus' record, so it's not just my Father, it's Jesus' Father and my Father and our Father. 
You see where this is going? And, and just so you don't get confused, our earthly fathers, you know, some of them tried really hard. Some of them failed really big. But he said, our father where? And then that says a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, it's not your dad on earth, so you don't need to have all the hang-ups there. The other thing is, this father in heaven, he's loaded. He owns what? And none of nothing own. I got a rich dad. Wow, our father in heaven. What? Hallowed be your name. Oh, I better put the pause button on there. Hallowed be your name. I need to exalt your name. Before I run right into the throne and say, hey, I need, I need this, this, and this. And I need it by noon. Right? Who are you talking to? Right? Stop and think. Your name is holy, and I want to carry that name carefully. And, and a good thing to do there is rehearse the names of God in Scripture. All right? Take a little time. You are Jehovah, the Most High God. You are El Roi, the God who sees me. You ever felt unseen? You're not. He is El Roi, the God who sees you. Oh, listen. When, and then when you finally know who you're talking about, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, then what? Here's another request. Your kingdom, what? Come. We invite the rule and reign of God in our life that day. You're in charge, not me. And I want you to reign over me. Because there's a part of me called the flesh that's going to want to do a bunch of stupid stuff today. And the only way that's not going to happen is if you come in calling balls and strikes. I, I, I need you. Your kingdom come. Well, what's that look like? Your will being done. Well, how much of your will? On earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> right? God, have you ever thought about this? God wants to bring heaven to your earth. And it happens through prayer. We've got to be a praying people. And only then, when we've invited the rule and reign, we spent time realizing who we're talking to. We're submitting to the Lord. Lord, I'm just going to be that vessel, and you can pour heaven all around me today. Then we say, give us today our daily bread. And literally, bread in the first century, that was, that's what they ate. Right? That's your daily needs. Y'all have some daily needs? Yeah. You think God knows? Yeah. Matter of fact, He's orchestrating them. And He wants you to get, but He's ordained prayer. Listen to this. Don't get this wrong. People, I've had people ask me, well, if God already knows, why pray? Because He's ordained prayer as the vehicle through which He provides your daily bread. This isn't rocket science. He wants you to know just how good he is. So he has ordained prayer as the method through which he is going to provide your daily bread, your daily needs. Got a huge bill in the mail the other day. I just forgot it was coming, insurance bill. I'm like, whoo, wow. Right? You know what else I got in the mail three days earlier? A refund from my escrow account. They way overestimated our escrow. And guess what? Before the need even showed up, God provided. And, and I got a little bit panicking when I saw that bill. I said, oh, that's right. I just got that check and I put it in the savings account. Thank you, Lord. Daily bread. 
That's how he is. That's how God works. Notice, notice what's right after that, though. Give us this day our daily bread and what? Forgive us our trespasses as we what? Forgive those who trespass against us. Some theologians say that's the real daily bread that you need. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Forgiveness. And it goes back to point number one. You're a pardoned person. Forgive us our trespasses. To the same extent that we're forgiving others. Boy, that motivates you to forgive, doesn't it? So now we're not going to be a bitter people. First, we're a blessed people because our daily needs are provided. We're an unburdened people because our sins are forgiven. And now bitterness is cast out because we're free forgivers. And then the last one's just a statement of weakness. And whatever you do, Father in heaven, direct my path way around temptation. Because I'll jump right in it if I get close. <laughs> I think that's really what it's saying. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, some say there, from the evil one himself. Lord, deliver me from the enemy. And when there's really three enemies, there's the world, the flesh, and what? The devil. Deliver me from me. Deliver me from this system. And deliver me from the one who's behind it. Right? And then we wrap it up with praise and glory. All the praise and glory and honor be to your name. Well, if we started every day like that and we rehearsed those, each of those little phrases throughout the day, you reckon that, would, you reckon that we would be living more to the glory of God? I, I think maybe. Just jot these verses down. I'm going to give them to you real fast. Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Paul says there, be anxious or worried for how much? Zero. Nothing. But, now this is a contrast, but in everything, you see nothing in everything? See it? But in everything through prayer and supplication, or making, let your requests be made known to God. Right? Here's something that helps me pray more often and more authentically. I don't know if you know this. I, I went to the graduate school of my mom, and I, am a, I have a Ph.D. in worry. <laughs> now, as she's gotten older... And has spent a lot of time in a school of prayer. She don't worry like she used to. But I, anybody else ha have anxiety? Man, I can, I can make myself crazy. You know, my, one of my girls is in Texas right now. If I could take, I promise you, give me 10 minutes, I could work myself up into insanity about all the things that could happen to her in Texas. Anybody with me? Okay, right? Be anxious for what? Nothing. Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. So why two different words? Prayer is coming into God's presence. And it's the Lord's prayer, right? Realizing who he is, all these things. Rule and reign, all the forgiveness, forgiving, all of this. Supplication is give us this day our daily bread. Right? Hey, this is what's concerning me. So here's what I've done, long story short. Is I use worry as a prayer prompt. And I know how worry starts for me. I don't know how, how y'all are. Worry starts right here. I get this 
almost like butterflies in my stomach or in my heart. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's, like, it's that first, first sting of worry. And when I feel that, I have trained and, and continually trained myself that when I, when, I, when I have those first pangs of anxiety, I stop right there and I turn it into a prayer. Yeah. Right? And guess what? Life's a lot more peaceful. I can leave that at my Father's feet knowing that He is God and that He's good. Amen? And that He's loaded and He's able to... He cares about what I care about. Cast all your care upon Him, First Peter says, for He what? Cares for you. Oh, some beautiful truth in there. And then lastly, let me, let me just run through this last one real quick. If we're going to live solely Deo glory, to the glory of God alone, we need to be a purpose-driven person. A purpose-driven We need to live on purpose. And that purpose is God's glory. Amen? Just jot it down, Psalm 3311. Psalms 3311 says this, But the plans of Jehovah stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Anybody here worry about your kids? Yeah. Right? Anybody worry that your kids are going to carry the gospel to your grandkids? Huh? Did y'all hear that verse? But the plans of Jehovah stand firm how long? Forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. I am worrying, spending time worrying about stuff that's not in my category. Anybody in here glad you can't mess up God's plans? Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is what? The Lord's purpose. That I can even make plans to mess up God's purpose, and it can't mess up God's purpose. Man, that is such. That should be such a relief for some of us today. You can't mess it up. And because of that, we can live on purpose, for a purpose, the purpose that God made us. Now, there's some things underneath this that I'm not going to take the time right now to unpack. But, you know, God, God created us specifically, individually for some specific purposes. Do we realize that today? God's given you abilities, uh, passions, and then when we, when, we, when we become born again and turn away from our sin and receive Christ... We get spiritual giftings, supernatural uh, abilities of the Holy Spirit to help the body of Christ come together and function for the glory of God. And you got one. You might have several spiritual gifts. You need to find out what that is. And you need to start serving within the scope of the gifting that God gave you. That's something I'm, I'm hoping to lead us through this year. It's purpose. It's the purpose for which you're created. It reminds me of the Eric Liddell, who was the runner, who refused to run on the Lord's Day in the Olympics, uh, Chariots of Fire. And there's a line in that movie and in, in the story that's written about him. He says, when I run, I feel the smile of God on me. What's he saying? God made me to run. But I'm not going to let that become an idol. <coughs> what is it that when you do it, you sense God's smile on you? And it's not in the grand and glorious things like getting up here and preaching, although I, I am so thankful that God did give me that gift and that calling. 
you, you, you didn't know me before. But my mom will tell you, I'm not lying. When I was a young teenager, I would rather face the wrath of my dad, which was scary, by blatantly disobeying my mom if she told me, she, and this, this happened, I'd be at the grocery store with her. She said, go up to the deli and order a pound of bologna. And I refused. Knowing what I was going to earn from that. You know why I refused? I don't want to talk to somebody. Can you believe me not want to talk to somebody? <laughs> that was me, wasn't it, Mom? I was backwards and shy. And when God saved me at the age of 15... I don't know what happened, but my tongue was loose and I became an outward going person in that sense. And God, God slowly showed me and changed me. And, and, uh, you know, and I struggle. I remember struggling. Could God really be calling me? You know, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just now starting to like like three people. <laughs> Only three people in the world. I'm just now starting to do that. You know, how am I going to be a pastor? I don't even like people. I don't want to talk to people. And and I remember. I don't know how she knew, but we were. I know. I remember right where we were. We were we were driving up the mountain to Sheffield. Um, no, what was that place where Uncle Lee lived? In the. I can't think of it either. It's outside of Greenfield, Massachusetts. Shelburne Falls. We were driving up the mountain to Shelburne Falls, and. Uh, she just said to me, she said, you're struggling with God calling you to preach? I said, actually, yeah, I am. She goes, let me tell you something. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Man, I needed to hear that. You got a gift. He said, man, I don't feel qualified. Don't worry about it. That's God's problem. He'll qualify you. He'll, he'll prepare you. But I'm going to tell you something, and then I'm going to close. When, you, when you're operating in that gift, there's nothing like it. It's like Eric Liddell running. When I preach, I feel the same way. I ain't going to lie to you. I don't always want to get up here and preach. 98% of the time I do. I just love it. But there's 2%. You know, whether it's what's going on around me or inside of me, I don't want to do it. But you know what? There hasn't been a time... I haven't stood behind this pulpit when it was time to unleash the Word of God that my pulse doesn't race. I'm not excited and thrilled to be able to do what God's called me to do. And I'm not the only one. What's your purpose? Find it this year and live to the glory of God. And it might not be preached. Tom, Tom has just got an entrepreneurial mind it's his, it's his gift. Just this morning, I, my son was saying, yeah, I, I got this thermos container, this little thermal container, and they were clearing them out for like two bucks. And I, everybody asked me where I got it. Tom said, you should buy them all. I said, well, they're very rare, but I can sell it to you for 30 bucks. He's got an entrepreneurial mind. <laughs> I told him, I said, I think Jesus wrote a parable about you. But uh, anyway, <laughs> God's gifted us with things. Go after that gift for the glory of God what he put us here for. I'll close with this. Romans 12, 1 and 2 was mentioned in our discipleship time this morning. And in fact, if you'll turn there, it's right, right behind, right in front of uh, Corinthians. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul begins that section by saying these words, and be not conformed 
to this world, but be what? Transformed. I'm sorry, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable worship. In other words, you've got to start today by realizing you don't belong to you. And joyfully lay yourself down for the glory of God. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't, don't live like the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that word prove means put it to the test and find it faithful. You know what that verse is saying? Too many of us, you know, too many of us are conformed to the world. And I want you to hear this as I wrap this up today. If you're conformed to the world, you'll never be a solely Deo Gloria Christian. You can't. Because here's a reality, saints. God did not call us to be thermometers, to rise and lower to the temperature of the culture. God calls us to be thermostats, to set the temperature in our life, in our family's life, in our church life, in our community, at work, and in the world. Amen? You are not a, therm a, a thermometer. You're a thermostat. And that's what, that's what the world needs. Listen, that's what Lake Wildwood needs this year. Amen? There's a lot of lostness in Lake Wildwood. And I was pondering on that this week. And I thought, wouldn't it be great before we die if people will talk about Lake Wildwood and say, you know what, it's hard to go to hell from Lake Wildwood. Because there's a bunch of solely Deo glorious saints. And they're salty. And their, their, their light shines so much that we can't even get it dark in that community anymore. Right? Wow. You are a pardoned person. You are a praying person. You are a purpose-driven person. When we are those things, we live to the glory of God alone. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come to you today preparing our hearts to receive the remembrance, the physical reenactment of the gospel through these elements. And Lord, even as we do so, we are, we are reminded that as we take the cup and the bread, that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't just to pardon us, but so that that pardon might, might, might drive us to pray, and that praying might drive us to live purposely. And that by doing those things, we, we just reflect. We don't, we don't touch the glory. We just reflect it back to you. And the wondering world around us looks at that and says, God must be real. So, Lord, today as we come to this table, and in a moment when we have a time of silence that we allow you to search our heart, would you search our hearts? Would you answer the prayer of David in Psalm 139, verse 24? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything in me that is offensive and lead me along the path to everlasting life. Would we make sure in our hearts that we are right with you and with one another? And that repentance can take place right now. There's no need to wait. There's no need to put it off. There's no need to not participate. And I pray that you would do that. We would be quick quick and adequate repenters. Our hearts would be prepared to receive this communion, this, this fellowship of the reenacting of the cross, the empty tomb. That we would, we would do that with joy and that it would be meaningful 
and that Christ would be present and that your grace would be inferred and that we would sense that because our spiritual senses are awakened. So as we take a moment to hear from you, I pray that you would speak and that we would obey.